Hello and welcome to the preview as we look ahead to Celtic's game against Dundee United at Celtic Park on Saturday the 5th of November 2022. It's a 3pm kickoff at Paradise. So the preview itself, we will get the Dundee United point of view. We'll be speaking to Paul McNichol from the Dode Fox podcast. And then we'll also have Christian Wolfe doing some opposition analysis and scouting as we discuss how Dundee United will set up and then we'll look at how we can counter their setup. Um, this preview is part of the two podcasts that we'll be dropping on Friday. Um, obviously, you're listening to this podcast, so this is the preview of the game. But we'll also have the late lunch. Club, um, which will be released at just after seven o'clock on Friday evening as we break down the press conference and look ahead to the game, give our lineups. That'll be myself, Paul, and Colin. If you want to get your points across and have them discussed on the show, just send a WhatsApp to 07457 402 and uh, you can also leave a voice note as well, uh, just if you want to get your, your points about the game across. But without further ado, let's get straight into this preview. Uh, let's hear from Paul McNichol from the Dode Fox podcast, a Dundee United podcast. Joining me now is Paul McNichol, host of the Dode Fox podcast, a Dundee United podcast. Paul, thanks for getting involved. Thank you very much for inviting me on, Chris. I look forward to telling you how my team's going to be victorious on Saturday. <laughs> I, I like confidence. Uh, I like uh, a little bit of uh, <clears throat> a bit of battle fever. Um, it's been a fairly interesting uh, season for Dundee United. Uh, the question I've got here for to start is: How are you coping? It's difficult. Uh, it really is. <laughs> the wrestlers, the re- the natives are restless. Sorry, uh, the noises coming out of the club are that everything's fine. Uh, we're still aiming for top six. Everything's going maybe no quite to plan, but nobody seems to be worried from the inside. But the fans that are paying good money to go and see the team are uh, more than a little bit concerned, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, just from an outside perspective, looking in, you know, I, I've always you know done the United, one of the big clubs in Scotland, and to see is that the, um, I mean, you're second bottom. You were, you've been bottom for most of the season. Obviously, there's been managerial changes and stuff, but you're coming off three defeats: Kilmarnock, St Mirren, and Motherwell. Um, and then obviously there was the Ross County draw before. You know, mm. we've been certainly in a situation recently where the fans see something that the board and the manager, obviously Liam Fox is in fairly new, but when you're kind of being, I don't, the, the phrase gaslit is a little bit over the top, but when when you're seeing something on the park or you're seeing results and it's not correlating with what's been said, it's really frustrating. So you have our sympathy there. 100%. It's frustrating. Uh, I mean, sometimes you feel like you're banging your head off a brick wall but I, I do wonder like maybe things look completely different when you're on the inside of that bubble that yeah. is the club maybe if you're an employee a player a director or whatever you may well you must view things differently or maybe it's just a mindset maybe they just prefer to live their life far more positive than than me <laughs> I wish I had that ability but just as I say like from what we are seeing at present it's it's quite worrying because we didn't seem to be able to defend very well and we didn't score many goals so like, if, I, if I just say that to you today you'd be like that well you must support a team that's struggling and you'd be absolutely correct Chris so that's where we are just now. Um, tell us about the start of the season because obviously there was a lot of kind of um, 
the excitement, you know, European mm-hmm. adventure on, on their highs and Jack Ross was the manager. Um, talk us through how that started and how that kind of started to kind of come apart. Well, if we go back to the, the end of last season, uh, everybody of a tangerine persuasion was over the moon because somehow, some way, we had managed to finish fourth top, which meant European football for the first time in must have been about 10 years. Uh, and that was probably down to the fact that the league last season was fairly poor, I felt. And I think a lot of fans felt that as well. And not just United fans. I think fans all around the country probably thought it was one of the poorer top divisions that there's been. But anyway, we finished fourth. So over the summer, uh, fans were excited. We were looking forward to hopefully a decent European draw. Uh, and we made some signings that most people were on board with. You know, We brought in Dylan Levitt on a permanent contract. Amazing. Good player. Stephen Fletcher, a good player, albeit a, a little bit older, but you know, if, if he's 10 years younger, he's no coming to Tannadice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, we brought in young Glenn Middle and he's maybe playing with something to prove. Brought in uh, Jamie McGrath on loan. So in in the main, like people were, were fairly, maybe when I say confident, I didn't, I didn't say that as in thought we were going to win the league, but we were fairly happy with where we were. And then the season started, uh, played not too bad, but not great down at Kilmarnock. And then we had the Alkmaar home game where the team, I thought, were brilliant. Like they, they were absolutely fantastic that night against a team that until recently had never lost another game. Uh, I think it was just one the other week that they lost. And then after that, we got beat from Livingston, I think it was, at home. Yeah. No, no shock there. They always bloody beat us. And then I think just after that, that's when the wheels came off because we headed over to, to Alkmaar. And as everybody will know, they got absolutely scalped, 7 nothing. And it was just downhill from there. 7-0, we got beat from Hearts a couple of days after that. 4-1, comfortably. Could have been a lot worse. And then uh, your mob came to Tanadice and, well, you didn't go easy on that. That's <laughs> all we say. Yeah. And you gave a nine. And that was the end of the Jack Ross era. Like he, he, I was never a big fan of Jack Ross when he, was, when he was given the job in the summer. And from listening to a lot of fans that were, like, thought it was quite a, a coup for United to get him. Uh, I'd probably been managed to sway my opinion, thinking, all right, like maybe we do have a good manager. But I, even though I'm not a fan of him, I could never have foreseen that we would get 16 goals against in two games. Yeah. Uh, and I just felt like he had to go. There was there was rumours around the town. He's maybe lost at dressing room. Boys are trying for him. And that's certainly that's certainly the way it looked. Uh, but it's, it's just been a bit of a struggle. It really, really has been a bit of a struggle this season for whatever reason. Did you go over to Elkmar? No, I, I couldn't go. Like I, well, you, you'll know, you'll know better than than me. Uh, when these ties are made, prices just go absolutely sky high. So that yep. was that was United fans. Maybe not the first time, but it's been a while since we've actually had to think. Oh wait a minute! If, if you get Amsterdam, because you're looking at it before the draw, thinking if we get a trip over to Holland, that'd be great. It's only yeah. forty pound a flight. The draw gets made, and then it's with four hundred pound a flight, and you're like, well, wait a minute. So. No, I kind of got priced out of it, and I was absolutely gutted until half time of that game. And then it was, I think it was four, five nil at half time or something, whatever it was at half time. And that was the first time I thought, ah, well, at least I never spent all that money. Yeah, we we were recording one of our podcasts for the uh, for the home game when you beat Alkmaar, and you know we were talking about it during the the recording, being like, well, look, yeah. Scottish football, like mm-hmm. let's. Hopefully they were, ex- they, were, they were excellent that night, Chris. Honestly, and, and that's no 
that's not me sitting here with tangerine blinders on. The United were excellent that night. They really were. They had a wee bit of luck, but I mean, they beat a very good team. I mean, a team that obviously we played the season before, so we know now how, mm-hmm. how good they were. Um, I, I, I just, I find it hard to look at that one nil win because I, I, you know, I watched that game back. I watched the full game back. Um, that was such a great performance, as you say. But then just to flip it to then falling off a cliff. I, it's hard to correlate what exactly happened. Was it just the players maybe not buying into what Jack Ross was selling? It's, it's, I mean, we'll, we'll ne- ultimately we'll never know. Yeah. But I can, but I can sit here and tell you that, in my opinion, and I've, I've said it on my own podcast, and I stick by it. Certain players just wanted to try and as, as much as they could. Yeah. And the noises coming out of the club around that time were no, no, we're, we're behind the manager. You know, we're giving everything. It doesn't look like you're giving everything to me, boys. Yeah. And I would argue when you're given everything, you don't usually lose 9-0 at home in a, in a league match. So that was obviously the end for, for Jack. But it was the wheels. If you have, if you had told me at the end of that home leg against Alkmaar that a couple of weeks later you'll be managerless and your team will be all to pot, I would, nobody would have ever believed it because the performance that night was so good. And then it's just been pretty much all downhill ever since. Um, we've got an, an analysis department who look at games and stuff and um, we were talking about the Dundee United game um, and we were talking about the 9-0 defeat and one of our analysts, uh, Christian Christian Wolf, he he says that the way that uh, Dundee United approached that game was actually the right way to approach it. It's just, it's a kind of flip of a coin. If you, you can approach it in a way and be really aggressive and really presses and if we... If you stick to it and you're really fully committed to it, you might get some luck, a la St. Mirren. But if you're not fully committed to it, yeah. Celtic and will they, absolutely... Yeah, I think up to a point, like you you probably remember, but that game, after 39 minutes, was only 1-0. Yeah. So, and, I, and I'm not saying that we were causing you guys any particular bother, but as long as a game of football is 1-0, like you're still in it. Yeah. And then once... You know, once once it went, uh, well, two, three, four seemed to happen in the blink of an eye. And, and he was sitting there at halftime thinking, four, no. How the hell has that happened? But in my opinion, the players just chucked it. They just, they just, they must have thought, right, we've stuck to this game plan that we maybe didn't agree with in the first place if they weren't playing for Jack Ross. And it got them nowhere. And, well, we all know the end result was nine. And, like, it could have been a lot worse, Chris. Like, you, I, I don't know if you were at the game or no, but, it seemed to be, I think it was, I think you guys were maybe 7-0 up and then there was a raft of subbies made. And for about 20 minutes in that in that period, like, yous, it's not that you weren't a trying, but it, it seemed like you were almost content. And then you got eight and you got nine. And, <laughs> I mean, you, you've probably never experienced your team being on the end of that much. And I know I certainly hadn't. It. But even when the ball was going out for throw-ins to you guys, like you, the, your players were sprinting over and trying to get you were determined just to heap on the misery and horrendous from my point of view. Don't get me wrong, I felt like greeting. Yeah, <laughs> but but that's just the style, and it was it was like so I, I'd, I'd never really seen a team that relentless before. I really I really haven't, and uh, it, it was it was it was a sight to behold, and and no in a good way. Yeah, uh, but at the end of that game, like uh, walking home, you just. I just couldn't believe that my team had been beaten nine nothing at home, and like it could have been about fifteen, like hand on heart. Like there was chances that you guys probably should have 
should have took that that day. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the Champions League this season hasn't been particularly kind to us either. I think we've we've played some good football, but you know, the Real Madrid game, for example, you know, we were five 0 down at seventy minutes, and I think mm-hmm. everyone started thinking, "Oh God!" Oh, but but that when it's that step up, it's it's incredible. But um, so but you don't you don't you don't appear to change your style though, and so, and I've seen it on social media. Like I didn't watch most of the game last night. I saw maybe the last twenty minutes, and. Like there's the, I, I could see criticism coming towards you guys, or, or more Postecoglou, because he refuses to change his style to the opponent. He's he's very much of the mind. No, this is the way that we play, yeah. and we will continue to play that way. And yeah, it was five one, but like he's he's kept going. You know, he's had loads of chances in in the last. Albeit, you were a wee bit open at the back, but like, you're up against Real Madrid. Like this isn't a Ross County you're playing. Of course, yeah. you're going to be. Up, uh, open at, at the back when you when you're still relentlessly going forward. So, I mean, there was definitely positives for you guys to take. All which sounds daft in a five-one defeat, but uh, yeah, that's what, even when I was watching it. Some United fans might have been thinking, "Ah, oh, well, at least at least Celtic are getting beaten. Hopefully, their heads are doing on Saturday." I was thinking, "No, look at look at the way they're still attacking." So, uh, I really can't wait to visit Glasgow on Saturday. <laughs> um, see, see on the um, the idea of style. Um, so obviously, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, uh, F- Fox has came in. You've went from Ross to Fox. Um, you know, Jack Ross had a. He, he tried to play a very kind of open, progressive style, mm-hmm. as you could say. What's the the style that you're playing currently under under Liam Fox? Jack Ross was defensively anyway. He was playing. He wanted the defenders to play a higher line. Now our defenders, when they're all fit, when and I include Charlie Mulgrew, Ryan Edwards, Ross, young Ross Graham, when they were all fit last season. We, we didn't play a high line because they're not the fastest, but they were decent in the air and they were kind of happy enough to allow cross, crosses to come into the box because they knew that nine times out of ten they would probably deal with it. Uh, and it, it, Jack Ross wanted to play a high line, wanted to play four at the back, and we were just getting exposed left, right and centre. Yeah. Flipped that to Liam Fox and we went back to back three, back five, I mean, it depends what way you look at it, but we're now we're still allowing crosses into the box, and we're just no dealing with it because we've only got Ryan Edwards, who's he's quite he's quite tall, he's about six foot five, but we've got Scott McMahon beside him, who's a fullback, and we've got Liam Smith at the other side of him, who's a fullback, and then the other guys that are part of the five are Kieran Freeman, who's a fullback, and Aziz Beach, who's very good going forward, the Australian international, but he, he gets picked on at that back post all the time people just peel off on him because he's he's that snowy strength yeah and uh, we've conceded a few goals but from whomever he's meant to be marking so just defensively just now it isn't working uh, I would imagine there'll be some sort of change on uh, on Saturday there, there, I mean there has to I don't know what we can do to to uh, to stimmy any Celtic attacks but they're going to have to change it somehow because the last few games as you touched on we've lost the last three to Kilmarnock St Mirren and uh, Motherwell so things are going to change at the back Yeah um, I look at that midfield of Sybold McGrath and, and Levitt and I think that's a midfield that like Aberdeen would want like that any you know teams at the top of the table it's really I mean really, look McGrath, at it, you know as it's, I mean, I could still sit here and say that I was happy with the players that were brought in in the summer, and they're good players. 
but we're just we're just not a good team for for whatever reason. They've no we've no managed to shape these players into a, a unit that's effective defending and going forward. Dylan Levitt, he's a great player. Yeah. He's a great player when when he's got the ball. He, he could spray passes 50, 60 yards, no bother, any sleep. Uh, he maybe lacks a bit of dig, but he's not in the team to to do the digging. You know, that's probably where Sybold comes in and, and he's like, he's a, a steady Eddie for, for us. Like, and for a while, he, he came in at the very start of the season and he'd done well. And then he dropped out of the team and like the results completely dipped. Uh, he's come back into the team. The results, obviously, that we're still getting no points because we're still getting pumped every week, but we're not getting absolutely pumped uh, scoreline-wise. So Sybil would be in there. McGrath, he's a good player as well. Uh, but, but, but for whatever reason, we're just, we're just not getting a tune out of them uh, as, a, as a cohesive unit. So they're good players, but, but just now, anyway, the evidence tells you that they're not a very good team. Uh, I mean, I mean, looking obviously, as I say, one, two, three, f- four games without a victory. Um, obviously, traveling to Celtic Park, a uh, it's going to be tough. Let's just say, as an example, that you know Celtic win on Saturday. When did, would you would you think that the manager would start to come under pressure then, or is he going to be given a little bit more time because of everything that's happened? With the best will in the world, Chris, like there's no many United fans that think we're going to get anything on Saturday at Parkhead and that's that's not even being defeatist that's just being realistic yeah. uh, like we're people that go to games are the daft we have no one at Parkhead and you might know this but since 1992 uh, Boxing Day 1992 uh, so that obviously plays a factor in a lot of people's thoughts when you, when you know that you're heading through to Parkhead the game after Celtic for United is Kilmarnock at home Th- that to me you can't be losing that game yeah. I mean you really want to be winning it you can't be losing that game because you're then on to Pataudry. And I know that we beat them 4-0 last time and that, that result came out of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> it really did. Uh, but then that's that's the break for the World Cup. So the likelihood is that you're probably going to get nothing on Saturday. Again, it, I always feel like a bit of a, a bum for saying stuff like that before no. a game. Yeah. A ball's even been kicked, but that's just the way it is got to get something from Kilmarnock and got to hope that we can get something from Aberdeen. Because if we, if, if we go the next three games and we lose them all, to answer your original question, of course the pressure's got to be on Fox. Yeah. But can you can the club really be thinking of punting a second manager before it's before Christmas? It's madness because he's got a two year deal as well. So United done yeah. a flush with cash. Yeah. Um see, see on I just a, a question. Like I was like to ask kind of like opposition fans and stuff like what what's what should Dundee United be doing what what as a fan what would you say they are like what do you want your club to do Celtic I want Celtic to play in the Champions League I want them to win the title play in the Champions League you know and a very specific yeah. type of football what didn't what do you think the, the majority of United fans want from the club I I think the United fans uh, me personally I can't speak for everybody but I want United and I I don't expect them but like you, we probably should be top six yeah. most years, I think, because we, and if you break it down simplistically, we're probably the sixth biggest team in the country. You've got you guys, the, the other horrible mob that share the same city as you, Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeen, and then it's us. So, like, and budget-wise as well, I dare say United are paying, they're paying out a fair amount of dollars. So United should be top six most seasons, if not every season. Uh, a good cup run, 
but I always have this argument on on my own podcast with Ronnie, like because some people say, "Oh, if you've not had a good cup run, then it's a failure of a season." I don't think it's as easy to say because you're like fourth round of the Scottish Cup, we might get you guys at Parkhead, yeah, or you, you might get on an athletic. No, no disrespect to them, but yeah. you, you could get an easy run. You know, it just depends. So you hope for a cup run. You hope to every every few years you would like to be qualifying for Europe, but top six should be the bare minimum requirement, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would always expect Dundee United to be in the top six. Um, obviously, last week, Tony Watt, uh, VAR. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts on that? Well, at the time, I didn't really see it uh, because it was in the halfway line. I sat behind the goal at Tanadice. Uh, but the fact that the Motherwell players stayed down when we were on the attack and obviously that was the first home game, certainly, that, that VAR was in place. I thought, that's clearly going to get looked at. It then did get looked at after United's attack amounted to nothing. Shock horror. Uh, and when Brother Beaton went over to the VAR screen, uh, in fairness to him, like, I thought, well, if he's, if he's seen it and, and Tony Watts left something on the boy, like, I, I can't really kind of grumble because that's, that's what VAR's there for. It's there to highlight things that you've maybe missed. And then I get home after the game, albeit we've lost, and I'm watching sports scene, and they're showing you what VAR has actually shown beaten. And it's just a nonsense. Like, why have we brought this system in? And you're not giving the refs the best possible evidence. Like, the first camera angle they showed the ref was the camera in the Motherwell fans' end, and they didn't even zoom in. It adds nothing. No. It added absolutely nothing to, to what had happened. But by the by half time of the game itself, there was people in the stadium showing me on their phones, like I think it was maybe from BBC Alba footage or something. Uh, and you could clearly see that it's in my opinion anyway, that it wasn't a it certainly wasn't a red card. Maybe a booking. He's he's Tony Watt definitely caught the boy, but he tried his absolute damnedest not to contact him. It's not like he's went through him. It wasn't even a tackle, he was just trying to nick the ball away. Yeah. And he, he's caught him. And then you see I don't know if you've seen it, but it was footage. I think it was Motherwell that released it from the George Fox stand at Tannadice, the one that runs along the, the side of the park with United fans in it. And it, it looks a wee bit worse than it does in the one that, that I think exonerates him. It looks worse than that one, where he does leave a wee bit more on him. But again, I would still say it was a yellow. And then they've appealed it and, and they won. So, <laughs> What's the point? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is why VAR was brought in, so that you didn't have all this nonsense. Scottish but from football. a personal point of view, like, should the club have appealed it? Probably, just to prove a point. But the fact that we've got Tony Watt free and available for a game against Celtic when the ball probably not get near the strikers. <laughs> yeah. Unless he's forming part of a flat back 10 on Saturday, I'm not sure how much of a role that he'll actually play. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the funny thing. Like, uh, obviously, when th- that Hearts game, which was the first kind of televised sort of, the, the decisions, the penalty decisions and everything, it was just... Uh, it's just an added extra uh, yeah. you know it's just yeah. a total pain in the bum well what I was listening to that game because I was driving through Paisley for the United St Mum game and like the, it seemed like a hell of an exciting game and I've, I've since watched the the highlights back and it, and it was a good game and VAR has kind of added to that but it's added to it in a way that it's not meant to add to it Yeah, you know it's added to the drama like when the balls I think it was Forrest that's hit off I can't remember the Hearts players Smith, name, I think it was, the, Michael Smith. Right, so he's, he's had it off his hand. Now, uh, to me, and maybe to a lot of people, I thought that was a penalty. I didn't even think you need to go to VAR to see that. And, and also, the one that Hearts 
I think it was Hart's first penalty. I think the first time I saw that, I thought that's a penalty. And the ref doesn't give it, and then he, he goes to VAR and he and he gives it. You. So we're still in a we're still in a state of not not really having a clue what the ref's going to see, what he's going to give. I mean, even the handball rule itself, Chris. I have no idea what the handball rule is these days, and and I don't say that for any like comedic purpose. I, I just I have no idea. Sometimes sometimes you see it and you're like, well, that's clearly a handball. I mean, you boys last night. In the Real Madrid game, I think it was O'Reilly. the second one where the boys had a shot and it looks like it's going out for a throw-in. Yeah. And Matt O'Reilly. O'Reilly. But then he gets booked. As if so, like he gets oh. booked and it's... Uh, so what they're saying with that booking is that he meant meant it. It hits off his yeah, That's a nonsense. You know, there's, it's just, I, honestly, there's so many things in football these days that are an absolute nonsense. And VAR was supposed to come in to help. And so far, after two weeks, that hasn't really helped anybody. Absolutely. Uh, Paul, this has been absolutely tremendous. I've really enjoyed having a chat. Uh, can you give me a prediction? It doesn't have to be the, res- the result. It can be just something happening in the game. Uh, I'll get there safe and sound. There's my prediction. <laughs> and United will, will, will probably lose a, a close game. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Paul McNichol, McNichol of the Dode Fox podcast. It's been a pleasure. I'll speak to you soon, sir. Cheers, Chris. Thank you. I'm joined now for some opposition scouting, of course, by our good friend Christian Wolf. Hello, Christian. How are you? Hello. Lovely Friday. And lovely to see you, Christopher. Lovely to see you, my friend, as well. It's quite a nice Friday, uh, quite sunny. Hopefully it keeps up for the game tomorrow. Celtic versus Dundee United, 3pm kickoff on a Saturday. Can he whack it? Are you looking forward to this one, Christian? When football should be played. Any other football player at any other time is just folk nonsense, really. You meant to say woke there, but you said woke, didn't you? No, I meant to say woke. (laughs) (laughs) Are Are you looking forward to this one? Yes, I am. I'm looking forward to it slightly less after looking into Dundee United, which it's not something I thought I'd say, right? It could be fun. It could be a real fun, but I, well, here's a bold prediction. I don't think he's going to get be 9 0 again. I think you can have that one for free. Oh, but yeah. So eh, they're, they're an interesting team, Dundee United. I'll tell you that. Um, why will it not be nine nil? They, um, you know, I spoke to to Paul yesterday, and he was talking about how basically how poor they are, and how you know they can't really figure out what because they've got good players, they've got good Scottish Premiership players. Yeah, talk us through it. Well, this is it. They do have good players, and they've had really bad systems, but they also got a couple of really lacy players within that system. But anyway, so yeah, they're interesting, right? So look at the stats. Love a stat. Um, they're all like, you know, 11th in the table. And the kind of, some of the stats kind of back that up. You go, okay, yeah, because they're like 12th in goal difference. They're 11th in XG difference. But then you start looking at some other stats and you go, well, in terms of shots and XG, XG created, they're like 7th in terms of how often they get into positions half, oh, sorry, final third. They're fourth and, you know, uh, into the box, they're fifth. So you go, okay. I mean, the defensive numbers are, are a bit worse, uh, you know, in terms of XG conceded. But then if you look at their procession stats, and normally if you're a team at the bottom of the table, right, you expect them to have 
you know, among the fewest passes, among the fewest possessions and so on. That's that's not really what's happening with Dungeon United. They're bang in the middle. You know, they have the sixth most passes. They have the sixth highest pass rate. They have the fifth highest possession in games. And they have the sixth longest seconds per possession. So you go, okay, well, that's a bit strange because you, you wouldn't... I mean, it's it's not a direct correlation, but you would expect a team at the bottom of the table to have poor passing numbers. You know, it usually correlates. So, so you go, so what's going on here? What's going on here, Christian? So I think Stephen Russell's uh, X points give us a bit of a clue because obviously Stephen's X points, they strip out, see if you lose a game, oh, I don't know, 9-0. All right, and then you ship 6xG in that game, which Dundee United did against Celtic. Obviously, that'll impact on your XG difference just as it would impact on your goal difference. But obviously, Stevens kind of model gives you, you can only get three points per game in, in Stevens' XX points model, and you can only get zero. <laughs> you can't get any lower than zero uh, on that model. So he kind of his model will strip out these kind of freak results, and they won't impact your goal difference and XG difference so much. So if you look at his X points model, Don't Do United is ninth, which is okay. So I just saw a couple of steps up from eleventh, but they are the team that has underperformed the most in terms of the points you expect them on average to get with the chances uh, conceded and, and created. They underperformed the most, so they have nine points overall, but have thirteen expected points, and thirteen expected points is only. About two and a half expected points up to Aberdeen, who's got ten more actual points than Dungeon. So, so there's something going on in terms of they're not as bad as the nine nil, but I think a lot of their kind of XG and stuff. There's they've had certain games where they've just shipped a lot. So they consider six six XG against Celtic, then they consider two point eight and two point four against Hearts and Motherwell, which is strip away the penalties. But other than that. They haven't been too bad in, you know, conceding chances. You know, they went to Ibrox and okay, they conceded one point nine XG, but that was that was a pretty tight game. And there's four times they've had more XG than the opponent in a game and lost, right? Livingston, St. Marins, and Johnston Motherwell. So you kind of get a, a picture of they've you know they're not as Bad, or there, there's been you know elements of certain games that just haven't fallen their way yet. So then you kind of look, okay, what, so, so, so what's kind of happening? Um, is there something in the playing style? Is there something else? And kind of before we go into like having actually had a look at them and have their line up, I thought it was interesting that they played 13 league games, right? And they've had 50% possession or more. Sometimes they have over 60, 65% possession in six of those 13 games. And if you strip away the games against Celtic and Rangers, it's six out of 11 games they've had the ball more. And of those six games, they've lost five and they've drawn one. So in, in games where Dungeon United dominate the ball and more often than not, they have more chances to opponent, they haven't got the results, <laughs> right? But then if you turn it on its head and if you look at... The two games with their lowest possession outside the Celtic and Rangers game were against Hibs and Aberdeen at home, and they win both of them. Yeah. So you kind of go, uh, it's interesting. Whereas the, when they play a certain way against quote unquote lesser teams, they've gone and lost. 
And when they played against, say, better teams, except for the Freak 9-0, they've gone and actually won, beat Tips in Aberdeen, and they lose 2-1 at Ibrox. And the XG isn't, you know, it wasn't a huge difference. So when they don't have the ball much and try to attack much, they're actually getting results, right? And, but when they actually try and go out and be expansive and, and try to play football, they're not getting results. Um, so, yeah, so that's what, like an interesting pointer, but with the numbers at least. That's essentially what you don't want to hear, that when they sit back and they don't press or they don't kind of attack, they get results. Um, so, so, so let me take you uh, a trip back to, to memory lane. Uh, in terms of, because so, remember we sat and talked about the Dundee United game uh, in in your lovely studio, which I know I brought my dad's as well, uh, sure, just yeah. to make sure. And w- what happened in that game was that Dundee United tried to kind of press high and try to play a bit of football, and they had this kind of weird, like when Celtic had the ball, Dundee United met them quite high up on the pitch, and they put. Two strikers in the front and then three midfielders behind them and then the five at the back. But they did it in such a way that the front press, it was high, but it was weak. You know, Celtic could like move in, like move easily past it. And once they got past that really weak front press, they had lots of space. Like the, the midfield tree was kind of quite far behind, but the defensive line was even further behind. So there was lots of space for Celtic to like just place players between the two forwards and three midfielders, and then between the three midfielders and the three centre-backs and the wingers and the, the wing-backs to stay out wide. So there was loads of space, and, and Celtic could so easily just pass through it. Now, Dundee United created at the start of that game, and you know, I've, I've listened to your um, chat with the Dundee United uh, fan guy there as well, fan guy, podcaster, and fan. And and he was saying how, we're talking about that game, and how for 40 minutes, it was pretty even, right? So it was 1-0 up until 40 minutes. And there were some instances where that high press kind of almost got Celtic in trouble. But because it wasn't consistent and it wasn't really working overall, you know, it was stuff like Greg Taylor could just like walk into the middle and suddenly Celtic had four against three in the middle and there was lots of space behind it because the wing backs was pushed all the way down. There was huge spaces and, you know, you, you saw what happened. So the system was Dundee United went out and they tried something really um, optimistic, I guess, or <laughs> brave, but they didn't have the players and to properly do it or they hadn't, you know, you know, this is the end of the Jack Ross era, I guess. And they weren't able to maybe fulfill what that system needed because it's a high-risk system. And it worked a couple of times at the start, but then you know, it just fell apart. And as uh, you said on your conversation uh, early today as well, it's you know, almost, like, almost like the team gave up a bit, right? So the system was all off against Celtic. But then you go and, and you look at the numbers against Hibs and Aberdeen and Rangers, and it's like, well... They're not shipping a lot here. They're winning two games. They're hardly letting in goals. They're, they're, they're really good at not conceding many chances. So what's what's changed? Because first I went had a look at the last game against Motherwell. So you know they lose one nil. I was like, okay, I was say, okay, what's Dundee United up to? And it was, it was the same stuff as against Celtic. You know they had these Fletcher and Tony Watts on, on top. <laughs> I was still Fletcher tries of it. Tony Watt 
He's so, I'm sorry, he's so lazy. He's so lazy defensively. We'll, we'll get to that. But, uh, but it was the same system, you know, it's the two strikers and then the three midfielders and then, and then the five at the back. And again, it was like, they were pressing high. There was big distances and it's like a, a better team than Motherwell will, would have ripped them apart. I think, you know, yeah. uh, Motherwell win one L is, is quite even, but it's, it was the same issues I saw. When we watched, you know, the Celtic Dundee game, I was like, I was rubbing my hand. This is great. But then you go and look at their game against Hibs, against Aberdeen, and Rangers, and their setup is 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 quite different, right? And I'll I got some screenshots. We can maybe put them out to the listeners as well. But in all those games, they have a different setup in the defensive block. You know when when the teams try to break them down. So there's a couple of differences. First of all, they sit a lot they sat a lot lower against Hibs Aberdeen and Rangers. So they didn't have that kind of bit mad high press that, you know, the front two was maybe high and you know occasionally when they lose the ball high up they kind of maybe press counter press a little bit high, but then the fullback. So there's lots of examples. I can show you some screenshots that Dundee United sitting quite far into their own half. And instead of having two strikers in that block, they've done something different. They have one striker, but then instead of a, a midfield three, they have a midfield four. So when you look at some of the kind of lineups on, you know, foot mob or somewhere else, it's often s- described as a three, it's kind of like a three, four, two, one with two strikers, uh, two attacking midfielder behind the striker. It's not really that defensively at all. It's more a one, four, five, right? So you have one striker on top, but then behind them, you got two central midfielders and you have nominally two wings. So it's like Middleton and, and McGrath usually, but they're not really wingers. They're, they're a lot more tucked in. So it's like a narrow four yeah. behind that one. And then behind that, I get, you have the five, you know, the three centre-backs, and then the two wingbacks. And if the ball's in the middle, the two kind of wingers in that four often come in a bit and kind of crowd out. But the ball goes wide, you know, that midfield field moves over. So instantly you see there's, there's, there's a change here. They sit lower and they have one more player in that kind of midfield line. So you can see why they haven't had an, another 9-0 against the better teams because they're definitely doing different things defensively. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's really interesting. Um, see, in regard to going from the kind of four under Jack Ross, we've talked about, we'll get to Tony Watt in a second. See, uh, with the, the, the going from the back four under Jack Ross to then going to a back three, how much of a difference do you think that makes for the, 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 from a defensive standpoint? Yeah, because it's weird. Because against Celtic, they did the back three, yeah, right, and and then so but so but I, I think against it, I think this kind of have formation has worked a lot better, and, and I think it's a lot to do with essentially you're wasting players on top. Like if, if you're putting those two players on top, they were kind of completely wasted because they weren't really doing much, and then they. What he also had was the gap between the midfield and, and defensive line was, was too big. But I think by putting four players in that next line, you always keep at least two players bang in the middle. And then you have the other two players um, 
on the other side of that, they can stay wide. But because you've got four, you're not essentially what happened with, with with the tree was that you know they, they couldn't cover the, the width of the pitch because the wing backs were so far back and because you had three center backs you had one less person in midfield so it, the midfield tree okay they weren't great but they had like they had too much space to cover because there was there was simply they had three players that had to try to <laughs> cover the whole like width of the pitch they didn't really have any help from the fullbacks because they were so low and they didn't have much help from the strikers. So I, I think by sitting in a one four five, you're able to one kind of double up on the wings. So what you'll see, um, so in all these three games, was that you, you can have two wide players now. So you have the wide player in the four and the, and the wing back. The wing back will always jump out on the winger, the opposition winger, or at least the person in the winger position. And then the kind of inverted winger in the four, they will look after the fullback for the opponent. So you got that two against two on both sides. And then also what you have is obviously nominally that the striker can kind of look after the center backs and a bit on the six, but you have the two then in the middle, two central midfielders who have the two number eight, say a Celtic, they can look after them. But you also have the two wide center backs who can then, if those number eights come behind the midfield, they can jump up and kind of cover that. So you kind of got those four in the middle looking after the two number eights. And then usually the center, the main center center back will look after the striker. So it's, it's, I guess it's just a lot less distances to the opposition players, no matter where they put it, because you got two against two out wide on both sides. But then if it's working in inside, you kind of got like a four against three. Because like the two number eights and the striker, and then you have the two centre backs and the two central midfielders looking after them. So it's, it's a lot less distance, and you kind of have closer distance to to any player at any time. And because you set lower, there's less space less space for the, the opponents essentially. Yeah. Um. So when they set up tomorrow, are they just going to be really defensive and try and hit us on the break? Is it going to be your classic deep, deep defensive yeah. unit, and then pass it to twenty watt? And then we can start talking about 21. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd be really surprised if they go two on top, right? Because they've gone one on top, four and five behind that. Um, against Sibs, against Aberdeen, and against Rangers. So I think you'll see that again. And it's, yeah, it's Tony Watt, but you also have these kind of, I call them inverted fingers here. So it's usually Middleton and McGrath, who are both decent players, right? Yeah. Um, and then, but because they're, they're not quite in a wing position. They're, they're kind of in, I guess, the half spaces. You know, they kind of line up a bit inverted. So when Dundee United do win the ball, no matter if they win the ball on either side, you should have an offensive player that can get up beside Tony Watt quite quickly. And you should have another one that can come on the other side of where the ball is. So I think that's essentially it. You have, I guess, closer access to those counterattacks because your wingers aren't shouldn't be that wide, right? And you still have a bit of solidity with the two central midfielders. So, so, so yeah, I, I'd be surprised. I'd be really surprised if Dundee does set up, have the one striker, if it's Tony Watt or Stephen Fletcher, and then the four behind, and then the back five, essentially. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, Tony Watt, right. So, obviously, he can play against uh, Celtic because his red card was rescinded. I mean... 
I know Stephen Stephen Fletcher is getting on a bit. I think I would play Stephen Fletcher because I know Tony was going to run a little bit against Celtic. <laughs> Watching him against Motherwell and Hibbs and Aberdeen in that kind of front press as the lone striker. It's so lazy. I haven't, I had to share some of the clips yesterday. Um, um, with Steven and it's just like he, he, he jogs, right? He, he, he does not spend a lot of energy defending. Like he'll kind of jog into position with the ball goes over. Like you don't, you do not see him sprinting a lot defensively. All right. He's, he's just about got. Back into his position, and um, he spends a bit more energy offensively. But I think he's, he's not like pressing from the front kind of guy. So, and I think I think this comes back to the United system. But I think this is a lot better system for them. But against Celtic, you, you kind of need to run. You need your striker to kind of sit on, I guess, O'Reilly in the six and hassle them and not let them kind of step out and force Celtic to be. Movement wise, really good behind them. So, uh, maybe he'll run a bit more tomorrow because of Celtic Park and, and that. But he was one of the like the laziest presses I've ever seen. Uh, it's, it's slightly funny, actually. See, see, on that, like, um, I mean, he's been allowed to do that, I guess. Is, is, is the manager, is that the manager just letting him do that, or what's the kind I, of take on that? I mean, I, I, I get letting somebody like. Messi just walk around because like, the strikers that walk around the much they don't spend any energy and that's fine but if you don't United like every every person has to run there like and they need to get back quicker and they need to get back into into the block and I'm, I'm sure Tony Watt will do this a bit more the first 10-15 minutes against Celtic but I think this that kind of alludes for me something like surely he's not told he you can just wander back and you saw it against Celtic in the first game as well like that front press was Terrible, yeah. right? And it's it's there's not it, it, there's no uh, aggressiveness, there's no intensity in pressing. There's hardly running, you know, in that. So I, I think this is you go back. You you, you mentioned as well, it's a team with good players, and if you have a team with good players and it's really not working, and it's the results, and also like underlining performances, even though they are a bit better than themselves. There's a disconnect there, and there's somebody. There's an output from certain players that's maybe not essentially good enough, and it's they don't fit the style. They don't want to do it. So I think Jack Ross had quite a. The rumors were there was a big bust up there with with some of the senior players, might have been Tony Watt as well. So I, I think there's something in there. Like I would not play Tony Watt tomorrow, to be honest. You you need somebody who can who can run and, and do that defensive job because it, it is a tighter system behind that striker. But if, you, if you're if you going to play just one striker in, in the front press, I did, you know, they still need to move. They still need to be a little bit of a nuisance because otherwise Celtic, if you give Celtic the, the freedom just to essentially walk past you, you know, with the quality of players Celtic have with the passes they can make and, and the, the kind of rotations and the movement they do, you know, Celtic will will find openings and, and they'll make life very difficult for you. Um, in regards to Celtic, just before we finish up, is it a case of just keep doing what you're doing? Yeah, so the the kind of matchup is is interesting because, as I said, the the back five for the United, the two wing backs drop deep on the winger, and that's what Celtic they put 
Celtic put the wingers wide anyway. So you already have a, a matchup there, wing back against winger. And then it's quite interesting with the inverted wing, winger for Dundee United. They're a bit more inside, which kind of lines up well with Celtic's kind of inverted fullbacks as well. So then I think you then, again, the key is, so you got a two against two, and then you have your number eight kind of up against almost uh, one of the three centre-backs on their side and the central midfielder. So you need to, you can very often see if unless Celtic's movement is really good, you can, you can end up a three against four, Celtic's three against Dundee United's four uh, on each side. You look kind of, they'll box you in, in that square and they have one mark one man more than you. So I think Celtic need to keep up what they did quite well against Livingston. The other number eight coming over. And so Aaron Moy, we talked about this on the review, that Aaron Moy came over a lot and kind of gave those passing options. So again, whoever plays in the number eight, there has to be that movement, right? There has to be that movement over uh, to create those overloads. And I think the the opposite winger will play a a part in this as well because obviously Leal Lavada and and Dace Meyer, that is quite keen on, on coming inside when the ball is on the other side. And so I think those kind of movements is important to kind of stretch that. Um, because a couple of the screenshots, especially from, from the Rangers game, like Dundee United's got six, seven players in a line on the 18 yard box. So, so, so you need to have that movement. You need to have that constant rotation of positions. And if you keep doing that, as I said, this Dundee United team isn't, isn't better than you'll get openings. You just, but you can't, you can't be static. You need to do those runs because this is a lot more solid team. It's a lot more team that will give you less space and they'll have more players further back to kind of uh, the space you have to operate in will be a lot less than uh, Tanadise. Amazing. Great stuff. Uh, kind of final points on, on the game. What's your prediction? So looking forward to it. I am. Uh, I hope to want to up, please. <laughs> He's probably going to run ragged now for like absolutely have his game of his life. Um, but yeah, no, Celtic should win this. You know, even with all that I've said there, if keep up the movements, keep up the rotations, you know, this, this should be out of sight. Love it. Love it. I'm in. Uh, Christian Wolf, pleasure as always. Speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you to Paul and thank you to Christian for some splendid work uh, looking ahead to the Dundee United game tomorrow. The Lunch Club Late will be recording at 6pm this evening and will be available straight afterwards. We also have a reaction to the Dundee United game which we'll be recording tomorrow after the game. Myself, Barry and Boud will walk back from the game and we'll be recording in an establishment in the centre of Glasgow City Centre. Um, So, this has been the preview. We also have the Late Lunch Club drop in this evening at 7pm and tomorrow we'll have the fantastic uh, reaction and then on Sunday we've got World Cup Celtic so it's a busy weekend of Celtic content thank you for subscribing and we'll speak to you down the road